0: Welcome to the Restore Church Sermons Podcast. We're so glad you joined us here today. We hope that through this message you are encouraged, challenged and strengthened. If you want to know more about Jesus, Restore Church or have any questions, please head to restorechurch.com.au. Good morning again, everyone. Good to see you. And again, hello to everyone who's watching us online this morning. So as Jake said, um, we're going to be kicking off a new series called What is God Like? And over the next bunch of weeks, we're kind of keeping this a little bit open-ended because this could sort of go anywhere. It could even take us up to Christmas. Um, we'll be do, we'll be sharing on this topic. Some of it will be preaching and teaching and some of it will be interviews and testimonies and, as Jake said, even a panel. And the idea behind it, again, is just um, to help us, through story and through teaching, um, help us again to probably reimagine or to even reshape our ideas about God if some of those ideas may need reshaping. There was A.W. Tozer who said, uh, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And uh, a whole lot of things come to people's minds when they think about God. And sometimes a lot of that is not good. Um, if you just take a, a, a general, a random sampling of the, the general pr- population, uh, you'd probably find there's some pretty wacky ideas about God out there. Now, now Tozer was speaking specifically about us, you know, card-carrying Jesus followers, us, us Christians. But that idea about thinking about God and what, Im- what comes to our mind when we think about God, that can apply to, to anyone. Um, it's not us that exclusively have an idea about God. And often what you'll find is the people who reject God or don't believe in God... It's a very particular image of God that they don't believe in or rejecting. Now, why is what we think about God uh, the most important thing about us? Well, very simply, this, because it, we lean into our image of God, for good or for ill. Our image of God is what we are somehow responding to in some way. As I say, for some people, it's out and out disbelief or. Or rejection but but we can respond in other ways too and for those of us who are signed up god people it's the god our image of god is the thing that we're actually representing to the world and to other people it shapes us it shapes the way we see and relate to god it shapes the way we see and relate to ourselves it shapes the way we see and relate to everyone else and the world around us and for those um for those of us who do believe in god Uh, Unfortunately, if people observe us, they could tell you pretty clearly what type of God we actually believe in because we tend to live out what we actually believe about God. And so loving people, well, their idea of God is that God is actually a loving God. When you come across a mean-spirited person, it's generally because they have a mean-spirited view of God. People who tend to be forgiving understand God as forgiving People who tend to be quite angry and resentful have a very similar idea about God. Kind people know a kind God and hateful people know a hateful God. We, we reflect the God that we actually worship. You know, and John says that perfect love casts out fear, right? Because fear has to do with judgment. What's that got to do with this? Have you ever met a judgy Christian? No. Never in my entire life. Never met a judgy Christian. The issue with judgy Christians isn't that they're judgy. It's that they're afraid. The thing is not the thing. They're afraid because they don't know the love of God that casts out fear, but they still live in fear of a judgmental God. Their image of God is one who sits there with his ledger open each day, keeping track of everything they do to see whether they're... You know, he's kind of some cosmic Santa Claus to see if they're naughty or nice and treats them accordingly. And so they live in fear of this judgmental God and so they themselves become very, very judgmental. So despite what we say or sing, it's what we really believe that matters because that's the stuff that we'll live out. And it seems to be a little bit 101 to be talking about what God is like because there is this assumption that when we talk about God, we're all talking about the same thing. And and that's not actually true. This idea of God is not some sort of monolithic idea. Just because we use the same word doesn't mean we need mean the same thing. Now... I'm pretty sure I've shared this story years ago, but so forgive me. But I'll share it again because I think it's really quite relevant. But when I was working out at the Restore, I was pastoring out at the Restore in Seven Hills, our our missional enterprise out there. One of the girls that was working with me, women that was working with me, um, she had grown up. Uh, she was a product of a particular culture and had grown up in the church that was associated with this particular culture. And yes, I'm being deliberately vague when I talk about this. She, all, that's all you need to understand, that she had grown up in this church. So she had quite a bit of exposure to God and what he was all about. And every Thursday night, we used to have church in the back of the the shop. And it was a mixture of people. It was, it was Christians and some people from this church and a lot of community people and people who didn't believe in God. But we, we would have church every Thursday night. And so one year we decided all we would do each week is we would, just, we would just stick to the red letter bits of the Bible. We would just talk about the Jesus stuff, the teachings of Jesus, the parables of Jesus and that sort of stuff. And in subsequent conversations with her as we'd be working together, she'd have these questions of me and she'd go, is your God like da-da-da or does your God, and I used to stop her and say, hang on a second, why do you keep saying my God, like your God, like it's somehow different? We, we believe in the same God. And it kept going, and it kept going, and then it dawned on me, right, that maybe we weren't talking about the same thing. And one night after we'd had church um, at the shop, she said, can I talk to you? Because we'd, we'd looked at this one very particular thing, and uh, the teachings of Jesus, and it was all about divorce and Jesus' teaching on divorce. Now, I thought, in all honesty, I thought it was probably going to be one of the, the least interesting nights that we would have together. And it turned out to be the most interesting night that we had together. And this had triggered her, and she said, can I talk to you? And we went outside, and then she told me more of her story that I didn't know. That She had actually been married quite young, but her marriage was actually both psychologically and physically abusive. It was a terrible, terrible thing that she had to go through. And at some point, she decided enough was enough, and she left. And she met another guy many years later, A really, really nice guy, a lovely guy. And they fell in love and they wanted to get married. So as was the case in their particular culture, they went to the man of God in that particular church and said, we would like to be married. And his response to that was, okay, well, here's what you need to know. You can get married again, but it will mean that both of you have to go to hell for eternity. Your children will be okay, but you can never be forgiven if you get married again. So they went ahead and got married anyway. And that's when I really began to understand that when I was talking about God and she was talking about God, we were talking about two different gods. Her God, her God, okay, was so fragile that it was more important to him that he got um, his honour protected and his rules obeyed than one of his creatures was able to live in freedom. He, w- he needed her to go through life being gaslit and physically abused in order for him to have his honour protected. And I just said to her that night, I don't, I don't know that God. That's not the God that I know. But isn't it interesting? We use the same word and we think we're describing the same thing, but more often than not, we're not. So I'm not surprised that people don't want anything to do with the God that looks like that, and looks like some of the other ways he gets misrepresented. And it's not just people out there that have these different ideas of God. Again, the assumption can be that those of us who are all signed up to this thing and go to church and do all of that regularly, read our Bibles, that we're all still talking about the same God when we we talk about God. But again, that's not necessarily true. We're in the middle of a coronavirus thing right now. Does anyone realise that? Yeah, good. I came across this tweet from a really, really, really well-known pastor, and it says this, God is giving the world in the coronavirus outbreak, as in all other calamities, a physical picture of the moral horror and spiritual ugliness of God-belittling sin. Did you get that? God has gifted us the coronavirus like he does every other calamity and tragedy that has befallen humanity on the face of the earth. So we will understand the horror of God belittling sin. I'm not keen on that God. I am just not keen on that God. It's the same theological paradigm that he works out of that says God predestines some people for eternal life and predestines other people for eternal torment. It also goes on to say that if God wants to give a two-year-old cancer in order to further his purposes, he's entirely within his rights to do that. And we have no right to question that whatsoever. I don't know that God. And I'm not keen on knowing that God. I came across another tweet from someone else. This was a beauty. The most pervasive and pernicious false teaching of our day is that love your neighbour is the most important commandment of them all. The most pernicious false teaching. His point was this. Loving God is the most important thing of all. And it doesn't matter how we treat people as long as we're serving and honouring God. That's it. If we start talking about how important it is that we love people and treat people, uh, we will do that above serving and honouring God. It's like, wow. He might just want to check in with Jesus about that. Who, When he was asked, he said, what, what, what is the most important, important commandment in the Bible? And he said, the entire law and the prophets can be summed up in these two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and neighbour. And the second is like it. The second is on the same level as this commandment. Love your neighbour as yourself. You can't separate the two. Or or even take Paul, for example. Now, Paul, Paul used to be a Pharisee. Paul's a pretty religious person, right? Paul's pretty good at putting God above everything. And he says this in Galatians 5.14, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. He doesn't even put the love God bit in because for Paul, he knew that the two were indistinguishable. To love God is to love people, and to love people is to love God. You can't separate them out. So what type of God is it that says, I demand that you love me above how you treat everybody else? That's not a God that I'm keen to get to know. See, there's a way of reading the Bible that enables us to back up pretty much any picture of God that we want. And, and funnily enough, that picture of God that we draw tends to think exactly like us. Has anyone noticed that? We can find this stuff if we want to look for it. Mark Twain was the one who said, in the beginning God created man in his image and man, being the perfect gentleman, returned the compliment. That's where we're at. Okay. When we talk about God, we're not necessarily talking about the same God. That's why it's important that we define our terms. You know, when I've spoken to people who say they don't believe in God or they've walked away from God, they've rejected God in some way, I asked them to describe to me the God that you don't believe in. Describe to me the God that you're turning your back on. And nine times out of ten, I find I don't believe in that God either. And if I'm going to be honest with you, over my 30 years of being a Christian, I've stopped believing in all types of God along the way. There was the God I had when I first became saved. There's the God I had subsequently to that. There was the God through my college years. Man, you should have seen that God. He was really keen on getting everything right, let me tell you that. I've stopped believing in God so many times. And yet the God I'm coming to know now is so much better than the gods I've stopped believing in. It's part of our evolution. It's part of our growth. It's normal and healthy to have our ideas about God shift and change. You know, it was the Apostle Paul who said, when I was a child, I reasoned like a child, but as I've grown up, I put away childish things. We all grow and mature in our understanding in every possible way. Why not our understanding of God as well? Why not our understanding of God as well? It doesn't mean that we were wrong in the way we used to see things. It's just the way we used to see things because that's where we were at. That was the best we could comprehend. That was the best of our understanding at that point. But as life goes on and we face different trials and challenges and we go through experiences, we mature and we change and that inevitably has to change our our understanding of who God is. A little while ago, I ran into a, a guy at a coffee shop that used to go to our church and I haven't seen him for about 10 years. And so we just got talking and I said to him, hey, so where are you going now? Like, which church are you at now? And he said, oh, I don't go anywhere. And I said, why not? And he said, well, I just, you know, for, for a while, I've just had these questions keep coming up, these things that, you know, I can't reconcile. And I, I, and I wanted to be able to ask questions. I want to be able to talk about it. I want to be able to get this stuff straight in my mind. So I began asking these questions. I began talking to people. And he said, pretty much what was, what was said to me after a while was, look, this is the way things are and if you don't see it that way then well to be honest the problem's on your end and he said well I couldn't see it that way it wasn't that I didn't believe in God I was just struggling with how to reconcile some of the stuff I saw with God in the Bible and what I'm, I'm you know what we say we think God is and so in the end he said I just decided to drop out altogether and I think it's a shame that people feel that they only have two options when they when they find themselves going through this process of rethinking things, that they have to either keep it to themselves or they have to, they have to leave, that there's no place for them, that, it's, that somehow they're a problem and something that they're going through is unnatural and not normal and so it, it's deduced as some sort of crisis of faith where they have to go. But I want to say it's okay to rethink things. It's okay to leave things behind. It's not a crisis of faith. It's actually the nature of faith. Faith is something that grows and develops and evolves over time. And if transformation is by the renewal of the mind, and this is what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, don't be conformed any longer to the patterns of thinking of this world, but be renewed by the transformation of your mind. Well, if, if transformation is by the renewal of our mind, and I've never changed my mind about anything, then you can rest assured that I'm not being transformed. Yeah? And this goes for how we think about God as well. Everyone who is growing is changing. We all do. And what I want us to understand and what I'm saying in this and you know, for this to sort of overarch the entire series is that when we talk about changing our understanding of God, it's not God who is changing. You know, One of the key planks of, of Orthodox Christianity is the, the immutability of God. God never changes. Okay? He's the same yesterday, today and forever. God never changes but our understanding of God changes over time. And that's why humility is so important. Humility is very important. We have to be able to acknowledge that even on our best day, even after years of experience and tons of study or whatever it happens to be, our finite minds are only capable of grasping so much about an infinite God. Right? It's, it's pure hubris to think that somehow we've got God all worked out. And let me tell you, if you think that you've got God all worked out, then it's not God who you've got worked out because he's bigger than we, than we can capture. And even, even though we have this Bible and we have all these words about God and these um, you know, images of God, in the end, they're just words about God. They're the best our language can do to try and describe God, but they certainly don't define him categorically. We have to be humble enough to recognise the limitations of our thinking and our language to describe someone who is pretty much, in some ways, indescribable. And don't forget that some of the greatest revelation for people came through their encounters with God. Remember in the Old Testament? You know, people would bump into God, something would happen, and then they would give God this new name, like Jehovah Jireh, because he just provided for my needs. When there was healing, ah, Jehovah Rapha, he's the God who heals, you know. So there was this, again, this unfolding thing and it wasn't, it wasn't always through trying to grasp God with the mind. It was that an, an aspect of God was revealed to them through an experience where God has revealed himself to be the one who heals or provides or, or gives victory and so on and so on and so on. The other thing is that we need the humility to admit that none of us has a completely objective understanding of God. Our image of God isn't formed in a vacuum. It's, po- it's shaped by our exposure to teaching about God, like the story I shared with that, about that woman. It's shaped by our experiences as we grow up. I mean, we read back into our images of God and, and into the Bible. We, we read stuff back into it through our own filters and through the things that have actually shaped us. I mean, I see this at, at home. Heather and I can be talking about the same passage of, in the Bible and she will see something completely different about God in that story than I do. And that's not because I'm right and she's wrong or she's right and I'm wrong. It's just my upbringing has led me to believe that's how that particular thing works. And so our experiences shape us. We all have these filters and lenses through which we see God. And I'm very leery of anyone who says to me, hey, I'm. I'm just. I'm the God I believe in is the God of the Bible, right? The God I believe in is the God of the Bible. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I'm like, no, dude, you're not. Okay, you're telling me what you think the Bible says. You're telling me what you, your interpretation of the Bible says. You think you're free from filters, and secondly, you think this is like. A, this is this is kind of like your ace to shut me up because I'm not actually arguing with you if I disagree. I'm arguing with the Bible. No, no, no. I'm arguing with your take on the Bible. Okay. So in the end, look, I'm going to say something that sounds really heretical here, so bear with me, right? I don't really care about the God revealed in the Bible. I care about the God that's specifically revealed in Jesus, right? Does that make sense? I'm not saying I don't care about the Bible, okay? I do. But I'm more concerned about the God specifically revealed in Jesus because he is the Word of God. This is the Word of God, That this word of god points to that word of god okay he is the exact likeness of god the exact representation of his being jesus said if you've seen me you've seen the father he didn't say if you've read the bible you've seen me okay you've seen me you've seen the father jesus said to the pharisees you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life these are the scriptures that talk about me and yet you refuse to come to me to have life this points to that this points to him. The Bible isn't the final revelation of God. Jesus is. God is Jesus. He is like Jesus, and there is nothing un-Jesus-like about God. You know the second commandment where it says, you shall not make for yourself an idol or any graven image? You know, have you got who's got the ten commandments hung up on their wall at home on a tea towel, something like that? No. Okay. The second commandment, you shall not make any graven image or an idol. Why? Okay, and that includes even... Even idols that, that are meant to represent God. Remember the story of Aaron and the golden calf? You know, they'd escaped out of Egypt. Moses has gone up to the mountain to hear from God and get the Ten Commandments. And all the people get restless. And they, they, Aaron says, okay, give me all your gold. And he melts it all down and he makes for them a golden calf. And then he says to them, behold, the gods who brought you out of Egypt. Right? So this is it. This, this Yahweh that just delivered us, this, this is what he looks like. He looks like a, a calf. Don't make an idol. Why? Because we'll inevitably get it wrong in some way and misrepresent God in some way because only Jesus is the perfect representation of God. So here's the thing I want us to understand as we go through this series. Any image of God that doesn't look exactly like Jesus is an idol. There you go. Any image of God that doesn't look exactly like Jesus, that's just another idol. And we would, we, we would recoil for something like that because we think we're not the sort of people that have idols, but you know what? There's lots of, there's lots of ideas about God that are held up in, in church, they're exactly that. They're idols because they actually don't conform to the image of Jesus. And that's where we have to understand that. As someone has said, Jesus didn't come to change God's mind about us. He came to change our minds about God. There's still a lot of latitude in it for us to have deeply and even uniquely personal images, uh, image of God. And I'm sure that we're going to hear a lot of that stuff as we go through This series, but it actually draws a line on it as well. And it says, Whatever else God may look like to us, He cannot be unlike Jesus in any way. So, right now, we're going to go into communion. And again, it's a great way to finish this type of thing because if ever we want to get a great idea about what God is like, we only have to look at communion to realize this is a God who was willing to die for us so we wouldn't have to die. So let's go and take communion now. I'll get Tom up and then we'll come back.